you stumble over, it'll make a great start, making a great intro anyway. <laughs> I don't stumble, David. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we are recording. Go ah, on. yes, on. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely go face first. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Remind podcast, where we combine neuroscience, spirituality, and personal development to help you heal your deepest wounds and transform your life. I'm Dr. Ashley Moreland, and I am joined by David Masterton. And today we are talking about dissociation. So, Dave, that's, hey, that's, that's dissociation, not disassociation, which is what I've been saying for God knows how long. <laughs> So everyone, everyone out there, dissociation, no ah uh in it, no dis ah uh association. Okay. If you say disassociation, we'll forgive you. It's all right. Yes, oh, it's, it's a very, it's a very welcoming podcast. This one, so I'm glad to hear that. I'm doing very well, Ash. Um, dissociation. Yeah. Very keen to explore. What do you know about one. dissociation? I want to start with that. Funnily enough, it's been something that I haven't really paid too much attention to, but it was pointed out recently by one of my good mates, um, especially when I was trying to explain, and I wasn't explaining it very well, that it was sort of like, as you sort of go through a healing journey, things shouldn't affect you. You shouldn't be triggered. And uh my mate said to me i i'm i'm concerned that you're not necessarily feeling what you need to feel you're potentially dissociating and i sort of went interesting because i thought that well no well i I understood the word i thought there was an uh in it but anyway um you know disassociating but anyway um and it got me sort of thinking okay you know, to be a very, well, to be able to be doing the work, you shouldn't be triggered at all. But then that got me thinking, is that actually right? You got to feel your feels, you got to be able to go through these type of things. It's how you respond to those feelings, which was the outcome of this sort of discussion. So that was by default, to answer your question, I didn't, th- I, dissociation wasn't something I'd actually thought I was doing, but without being that reflected by my mate, it was actually a path I was heading down. But in a way, which was sort of like, I'm going to be so healed, I'm going to be like a bottle of Valium. Nothing's going to affect me. Yeah. But Completely come out. Yeah. So that's been kind of my experience, but it had to be reflected back to me, which was really quite valuable. But what I was trying, what I was trying to say, and again, I do think that it needed a lot more work in what I was saying was, no matter what happens, no matter how I feel, I'm not going to allow this feeling to change my direction to influence my decision making through the fact I don't want to feel this pain again, or things like that. So, um, but it helped me really realize, feel the feels be at the bleeding edge of your feelings and don't be afraid of it. Yeah, but I love if, that. If I hadn't had that, it would have just been numbville or middleville. But with all the, what I thought <laughs> was the best intentions. Yeah, 
That's massive. And I know in the last few episodes, we've been speaking a lot about the mind body connection and things like that. Mm. Um, I think, and I, I think I have spoken about our stress responses. So fight and flight and freeze. And really there is a very close relationship between dissociation and a freeze response. So at the extreme end of, um, if you think about fight and flight when we are in fight and flight there's a part of us that still believes we have a chance like Hmm. if you have um imagine that you're in the amazon jungle and an animal is chasing you your options are to stand in front up against the animal and fight it off the other option is to run away from the animal but both of those options you still feel like you have a chance Hmm. Whereas a freeze response is almost like we've given up hope. A freeze response is where the onslaught of fear and the onslaught of stress on our nervous system has been so significant and so painful that our only answer is to then numb it out because it says we can't make it stop. I can't fight it to make it stop. I can't run away from it to make it stop and it's not going to stop. So my only option Mm. is, is to numb it out so that I can survive it or basically wait to die, which is pretty gruesome, right? Mm. So when someone enters a freeze response, that's when they can start to experience dissociation. And so when, when someone's explaining symptoms of dissociation where they completely zone out, People who are experiencing dissociation might have really poor memory. They won't remember people's names. There'll be certain situations really, really common in social situations where there's a big onslaught of sensory information that just floods the system with stress hormones. Um, And people dissociate because it's almost like um, the mind and awareness just completely leaving the body because the body is such an unsafe place to be. Interesting. It's so massive. It's a way to mentally escape. It's a way to disconnect from Mm. the overwhelm or the dangerous situation. Now, would you apply that sort of same thinking like you've mentioned about forgetting names and things like that? Because I'm chronic at forgetting names. Like I will Mm -hmm. meet five people, shake their hand. I'll hear their name. I'll even repeat it with the attempt to remember it. And at the yeah. end of that situation, I've forgotten. <laughs> I'm like, and I, but I'm not afraid to sort of say, I'm useless with names. Sorry, what was your name again? Um, so I don't think that, you know, in, in my mind, that in, in itself is a dis, dissociative thing. But when you think about the situa- a situation and you can recall it, just like I recalled that person's name to repeat it to mm-hmm. them and then forget later on, if we apply that into, so, say, an event, a traumatic event, where it happens and, say, you freeze or you, you do whatever you need to do to get through or to survive the situation, you either run, you fight, you, 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 you freeze, whatever it is. But then when the, your memory is quite fresh from the experience, you can remember a lot, but then you find that very quickly as time goes on, you start to lose well, what happened again? Well, then it was then and then and then. Because like when you try and recall it to someone, they say, what happened, what happened, what happened? And when it, when you first recall it, immediately after, there's 
you know, a reasonable amount of detail, but then yeah. you then try and recall it three days later and then you realize you're missing, I don't know, there was more than that and I, I can't remember. And then a week yeah. later, it's like, and like, unless to say you decide to talk to a therapist or something about it, then you start getting frustrated. Like I remember there was a whole lot more than I'm remembering now. Would yeah. you say that's part of what you're talking about as well with this? Yeah, it can be. Absolutely, it can be. So there's issues with the integration of information into long-term memory, which is why we struggle to recall. And so people will lose whole chunks of time. Like there's there's a whole element of time blindness because you're not present in your body. Um, and look, there are so a freeze response is on a spectrum in terms of intensity and severity. So I would always flag a freeze response as something to be much more concerned about in clients as opposed mm. to a fight or flight response. If someone's in fight or flight, that's an in indicator to me, yes, they're struggling, like their nervous system is struggling, but they're not on the brink of collapse. Whereas mm. when someone's mm. pushing more into that freeze territory, where there are some of those behavioural indicators and there are some of those things going on, then that tells me that their nervous system is so overwhelmed and so so much exceeding capacity that they're on the brink of a nervous system collapse. Um, so in, mm. in uh, neurological terms, that would be called dorsal collapse. So on the absolute end of that spectrum, there's a phenomena called depersonalization and derealization. And this is, this is hardcore. Like I've had many DPDR clients and basically depersonalization. Imagine this, the person feels so detached or disconnected from their own thoughts or their own feelings or their own body um, or their own sense of identity that it almost seems like they're observing themselves from out of their body. Or I've had people describe it like um, it feels like you're just going through the motions in life without actually experiencing it. I've had people say that it's like uh, watching their life through a snow globe where they know mm. that they're in the presence of their family and that, they know they should be laughing at those jokes or feeling some sensation, but they feel nothing and they don't feel that sense of connection. There's a complete detachment from themselves and their surroundings and their relationships and their responsibilities and all these kinds of things. So sort of like really living in a dream, um, whereas derealization is almost like the reality is not real where you kind of, again, feeling like you're in a dream state, except it's talking about the external world. So the external world becomes distorted. Uh, it might seem like you could know you're in a really familiar or common place, but it feels completely unfamiliar to you. It, the environment might seem like foggy or hazy. Colours might be distorted or not as bright. Um and so once you're getting to that extreme where 
even the way we perceive our existence in our own physical body or perceive our body's existence in the external surroundings, that's pretty, like, that's basically as extreme as it gets. And Mm -hmm. the the Mm -hmm. manifestations behaviorally of the things that you just mentioned, um, as, as well as many other things, is phenomenal. Yeah, so it's it's almost like you've got that extreme dissociation where you can really sort of go, crap, I've, I feel as though I'm not myself. I feel as though there's a disconnect, like there's wow, like mm-hmm. at that at, that, at one end. <clears throat> Is it fair to say there, there could be that sort of creep effect, which I explained earlier on, where you're sort of going, well, I need to feel nothing to be fully healed. That's what one thing, or there could be situations where you realize no matter what I do, I can't control this situation, right? I can't yeah. fight it. I can't run away from it. And so I need to survive it. But because, you know, when you sort of say the freeze response, it's not like deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it doesn't always show up that way. It could show up where it's sort of like, yes, they're still talking. They might be smiling. They might even be laughing or yeah. what, whatever, whatever it is. But in the back of their mind, they're going, all I need to do is just get through this. Yes. And in their body, they're numb. In their body. So they might be laughing, ha, 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 out loud. But in their body, they're not feeling the joy that, Mm -hmm. that, that would typically, in a healthy mind and brain and body, the joy or connection that would typically be linked or associated with that external laughter. Yeah, with something funny. Yeah, yeah, so all they all, all they're thinking is, I just got to get through this. Yeah, like, and so apply that to a relationship, right? Like, how I see this really commonly in relationship, where when people are both chronically dysregulated, so let's say both partners are chronically dysregulated, they can go through the motions of doing all the couple things. They can have dates, they can have conversations, they can, you know, navigate running the household, they can even have an active sex life. But that is an example of going through the motions. It's like life is on autopilot. And when life is on autopilot, you are not present for the experiences. And so Mm. people will say we're doing all the right things, but it's not about uh, I I have a... um, a workshop that I present called well-being versus well-doing. And that is the fundamental difference because doing all the right things is not the answer. You need to have an awareness of how am I being while I'm doing this. So what's the point in having mechanical sex when you're not actually able to be present and feel emotionally connected and have that um, sense of safety and presence in that moment? You can't have intimacy without that sense of presence and connection. So sex outside of that is basically mutual masturbation and that's it. Mm. And so I mean, even like, yeah, I've, I've got to say, that's that's a massive one when people do have sex or make love or whatever are they actually doing that or are they doing it out of are they doing it because they want to or they're doing it because it's out of obligation you know if i don't throw the dog a bone right is he going to get annoyed is that something that, that we need to do because 
you know, I've already said no three times or whatever it is. But even like if you wind it back from sex and we mm -hmm. sort of go into into and we come back into intimacy and we even go one step back from there, because I remember being um, a culprit of this. It's when you first meet someone, you go into a relationship and you tell them for the first time, I love you. It is a big damn deal. Now you then fast forward to however long it is. And suddenly if you're talking to them and you don't say at the end, I love you, something's wrong. Mm. So now you actually got to a point where it's sort of like, well, I have to say this because other, because it's now routine. It's now, as you said, habitual. And if I don't say it, oh shit, something's wrong. Well, even though the meanings left the building years ago. And it's a bit like the, um, and again, I've been a culprit of, of this as well. It's like when you say goodbye to your, your partner or your wife or your husband or whomever, you give them a kiss. Right at the start, that meant something like it really did. So I can't wait to connect with you physically on the lips to feel the sensation, to have the touch, to express that. And then it turns into a, well, again, I have to do it because otherwise yeah. something's wrong, but I don't, yeah, there's exactly. no more meaning behind it. Exactly. And you know, the number one reason think about daily life, right? So we, our nervous system is responding to every circumstance and situation that is happening, both within our own bodies, within our own immediate world, and also within the world at large. And so when you think about um, quite often, the families that I work with, the couples that I work with, even individuals who are experiencing freeze responses or dissociation, it's not even big traumas. It's not even like, oh, they cheated on me or, oh, we had this big conflict. It is, this is um, quite often the continuum of going fight and flight and the continuum of stress response to reach freeze where people are completely checked out, people are... Um, completely numbing out they might be numbing out with scrolling on their phone they might be completely disengaged not able to be present for conversations they might be overworking they might be binge watching netflix on tv right um the the most common culprit for this is prolonged exposure to chronic stress and that mm. is ongoing work related stress that is ongoing relationship issues that have never been dealt with. The relationship issues and insecurities and fears and all the things that we brought with us into the relationship. It's the financial problems. It's inflation. It's the, watching the news on a daily basis. For women in particular, it's caregiving responsibilities, having to be constantly needed and having um, particularly sensory. So when I'm talking sensory, it's noise. It smells, it's touch. And noise and touch are the two biggest ones that will push people into a freeze response. And so mm. in particular, if you watch um, parents of young children, this is really common, parents of children before school age, they will be more likely to be in a freeze response simply because the sensory stimuli that they are absolutely pelted with on a daily basis is a chronic stress to their nervous system. 
And so, right, so you're saying from, from the kid making the noise, needing the hugs. Yeah, needing saying? to be yep. touched, being in your personal space and never look having at me, a Look at me, look at me, watch this, do yeah. this, what do I do a now? Lot of, a lot of kids sleep in their parents' bed all night. So not even the time that you sleep do you get reprieve from that. And it is a, a phase of life that is so demanding. And think about this. Can you, what are the options to the nervous system? If they're overwhelmed, they mm. fly off the handle, a fight <clears throat> response. They disappear and make themselves really busy, a flight response. Or they just let it happen and completely numb themselves out to the experience. And that's the, the parents who are sitting on their phone scrolling while there's absolute chaos and mayhem happening in the background. That's the, the couples who are sitting on the couch at the end of the day, sitting there binge watching the TV because they're so burnt out that they don't even have the energy to engage with each other at the end of the day and actually be present and connect. So freezing and numbing out is just a mechanism to conserve energy and protect ourselves basically mm. while we wait to die. That's an extreme end. Sure, um, sure. But is but it one of those things, the- yeah, is it one of those things where you start, when you start to do this, that, you know, in in small amounts, yes, that's quite good because if your brain soaked in every every stimulus, you'd go you'd go crazy. So you need to sort of block and things like that. So having some small portions of this, would you say would be healthy? But it's when it gets to a certain point where you seem to be numbing out. You know, pick a percentage, right, of everything yeah. that's going going on. Um. Because otherwise, do people know they're doing it? No, it's it's generally completely unconscious. And then when it's brought into awareness, there's a huge shame response, and it, there's mm. and the shame response is met with ego. So e- symptoms of the ego are justification, defensiveness, attack, all these kinds of things. So, um, what and about, I. What about the other parts? What about the other parts of shame? Just to just to jump jump in yeah. there. That, you know, what if someone starts to look at these things and start to go, you know, they're, they're not sort of attacking, but they're more like they're disappointed, they're, sh- they're shameful, they think there's something yep. wrong with themselves. Yep. It's, um, you know, why can't I remember? I want to be able to process yes. this. Massively. And, and, I, and, I, and I can't. Why can't, you know, it's like, is there something wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And my answer to that, the reason that this work is so beautiful is because when you can understand the nervous system and how the nervous system is working for you, it means that you're not the problem. It actually means there is no problem. There is only solutions. It's just that the solutions that your nervous system has come up with in order to protect your survival are impacting our lives in a very significant social and emotional and relational and financial way. Because look at a freeze response. When someone gets to the point of freeze, quite often, um, and this is this is another amazing part of this, right? I've had clients, uh, I had a period of time where every single client that I had worked with had earned, um, had recovered, financially recovered the cost of working with me and more within about two months because 
I and I always find this, uh, and I, I've spoken to other practitioners who see that they get clients in clusters. So they'll get clients who all seem to have the same issue in this particular mm. cluster. And I had this this cluster where I was getting a lot of clients who were in a freeze response. But thinking about a freeze response when they're completely disconnected, they're disengaged, they couldn't get off the couch, they were, um, they had no energy left to actually do life, to actually do the things that would generate revenue in their home, in their lives, in their businesses or whatever it might be. And so when you can regulate that nervous system and just surviving a day in our life wasn't so stressful that it pushed us over the edge into a freeze survival response, guess what? They they were able to get up out of bed they were able mm. to actually be regulated and have executive function to um, perform the tasks that needed to be done and prioritise things. And that's life-changing. But the reality is this is, this is a day-to-day, moment-to-moment adaptation and flexibility of our nervous system to always be responding to those threats. So my first thing, Dave, like what you were saying is, is it a good thing? Yes, it is. It is always a good thing, even when it's ruining our lives, because it's the only thing keeping us alive, first of all. And I think if the one thing that people could take out of this is the message that the problems in your life are only there because they're solving a problem. So the problems are the solution. This freeze response, dissociation, depression, anxiety, it is all a solution of the nervous system. It's just doing a terrible job. Mm, interesting. Yeah. As you were saying that, dissociation, is it the absence of connection and capacity? Connection with other people, connection with yourself and capacity because you've got no capacity left because yeah. everything that's coming in just feels overwhelming. Yes. So, so it's if, like if that's... literally the equivalent of the straw that breaks the camel's back, that right. the straw has broken the camel's back. So see, with fight and flight, um, you're just being, you're at the edge of capacity. So you're getting mm. defensive, you're still reactive, but you've for fight and flight, you need to have the energy in your body and the capacity in your nervous system to engage in that fight or to engage in mm. running. But what happens if you have run and run and run and run and you've got no energy left? You cannot run a single minute more, but the threat is still there. I was saying that you're still being chased. <laughs> you're still being chased. All of a sudden, you don't have energy anymore. And so what's your only option? Is freeze. to flop. Yeah. So Absolutely. so when you think so if we think about sort of the freeze or the dissociation connection with the freeze. And we say it's a lack of connection in total, and that's by design because there is no capacity, right? Yeah. So- I, I would only tweak that in saying that lack of connection, from my perspective, lack of connection is more a consequence of a freeze. And lack right. of connection yeah. comes from any stress response. If I am picking up that your behavior is a threat to me or even your existence and presence is a threat to me and I fight you or I run away from you Mm. that's still a threat to connection right because if we're fighting we're not connecting if we're running away from each other we're not connecting so lack of connection is a product of the stress response from my perspective um, but they're super closely related 
yes. Yeah, because I'm guessing when I say the word connection, I'm saying it in its purest, most positive form, mm -hmm. um, which I suppose what you're sort of saying is because like I'm, I'm guessing if I was to be in a, in a state where I'm freezing, I'm not finding any connection anywhere that is positive and filling my bucket. That's, yeah. kind of, that's kind of the connection that I'm thinking of, either when it's internally with me or whether it's with somebody else. Because if I can find some positivity somewhere, if I can find yeah, a connection within me or with someone else, something major happens, I can still process outside of that, which I think is probably, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Because I, I was going to say, when you're in this place where you can't connect with people, because I mm -hmm. see connection as something that if you can connect and process with someone, <clears throat> you are absolutely going to find some capacity. That always, that, for, for me, it always moves the needle in a positive way. As in connection so, increases capacity? Well, yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. In, in, a, in a positive way, not, not just sort of any connection, but it's like a connection that you can feel safe, you can feel seen, you can feel yes. heard. That's safe that, and authentic. And that's what I talk about, you know, if I talk about or I, th I think about dissociation and freeze, there is you're not finding that connection, not just no. any connection as a transaction, that no. connection where you feel safe, you feel comforted, you feel all of that. So because really, if you're at a, if you, I if was you're just going to say in extension of that, like I said, yeah dissociation and freeze is a continuum and I think we can't lose sight of that because if we are pretty early in our reaching capacity and and overflowing we will have moments of dissociation and we will have like we can come in and out of dissociation and so we mm. might still have moments where we feel deeply connected to ourselves or someone else but then we'll have other moments where we're not and so that's, if we are even observing that we're having those moments, that's a warning sign, a really important warning sign. Mm. Whereas what I guess what I was pointing out with the examples of like couples who have just battled out, like maybe they've got multiple children and they've been in a season of young children for 12 years, you know, um, where it's just been dragged out and dragged out and dragged out, or there's been a lot of, even if there was childhood adversity or whatever there might be, when that is sustained and the perceived threat in the environment is sustained for such a long period of time, eventually there's no connection. There's no reprieve ever. Mm -hmm. You go through the motions of what connection looks like, but you're never actually feeling it. Mm -hmm. So when we when we think about, because <clears throat> I'm trying to get to okay, let's just say you're at the edge, you're freezing. There's no capacity, no connection. How do we start to step back through that process so that we can start to find capacity, connection, whatever it is to go right? Okay. I'm aware that these things are happening. Great. I've ticked a few boxes. I feel this might be me. Where do we go from there? Oh, gosh, there's so much acutely um, really simple things. Like if you j even just went to Google and went, how do I come out of a freeze response? The, the things that come up are things like acutely grounding techniques, 
What's the most obvious thing? Let's control our breathing, slow and deep breathing, mm. because it brings us back into our body. Grounding techniques like um, things we've spoken about before. So having awareness of the sensations in our body. Because if we are dissociated, it means that we're disconnected from our body. And anything that can bring us back into our body, so really tapping into our internal sensory sensations. So actually, mm. um, I find it easiest to close my eyes and actually going, I'm just going to scan my body and I'm just going to notice what I notice. Where do I feel tight? Where do I feel relaxed? Where do I feel pain? Where do I feel you know, how, what's going on in my tummy? Do I feel tingles? Do I feel squirmy? Do I feel really relaxed in the tummy? And mm. when we can do that, that's really powerful. So another thing is being without shoes. Being without shoes, obviously, not only just for the sort of electrical grounding, but feeling the sensations of the ground beneath your feet through the soles of your feet. So standing on uneven surfaces, standing on a rocky ground, standing on the grass and feeling the sensations of the dirt and the twigs and the sticks and actually isolating out those different sensory into, um, mm. things. Textures is another really big one. So um, something that I do with clients quite often is I'll get them to close their eyes. This is actually a test for dissociation that I use. Um, get them to close their eyes and put an object like it might be a pen or a key or something that's small enough to fit in their hands and I'll say I want you to describe what you feel on that object people who are really seriously severely dissociated can't even integrate that sensory information enough to tell me what it feels like okay because it's interesting as you're sort of saying you know coming back into the the body and as soon as you mentioned that I sort of thought about what you'd mentioned to me in um previous discussions what's one thing i can hear one thing i can see yes. one thing i can yep. touch one thing so that's I can just smell. sensory integration yeah but then that led my thought process into is that something you would also do when you're having a panic attack yes massively so so if that's the case and i don't want this maybe this could be next week's video but is there an an, an association that has an a in it between dissociation and panic attacks is there is, yes. there, is there some yes. some threads there yes so a panic attack is the outcome of a perceived threat mm -hmm. and if we are panicking and the threat doesn't go away quite often the panic attack will we will be dissociated while we're in a panic state and so that means that we won't have good recollection of our surroundings. We won't have good awareness of what's happening in our body. Um, all these kinds of things that are related to dissociation can be present in a panic attack. So mm. a panic attack is um, the perception of our nervous system of threats in our environment. The most interesting thing I find about panic attacks is that the clients that I've worked with who have recurring panic attacks it's actually the first one is in response to an external threat, but more common than not, the subsequent panic attacks are the product of anticipating another panic attack. So nothing's even wow. happened. It's just that the thought of another panic attack induces panic and results in another panic attack. So mm. one of the reasons, like where I was with your question, 
There are so many things that we can do acutely. We can do breathing techniques. We can do progressive muscle relaxation. We can do um, social support and physical touch. So releasing oxytocin is going to bring us back into our body and ground us. There's movement and exercise, stretching, yoga, anything that puts tension on our body or um, gets our heart rate elevated in a physical way can be helpful. But the thing is, the focus of the work that we do is more in, first of all, releasing the chronic stress from the nervous system. So actually releasing that stress data and switching off the stress response. That's got to be the first thing. But then from there, it's about rewriting the filter system that is perceiving the threats in the first place. Because more often than not, the threats that we are perceiving in our environment are not actually a threat to our survival and doesn't need a survival response. It's just that our body is massively overreacting in response to a stimulus because it's remembering a discomfort or something that's happened in the past. So when you mention, you know, just re removing the, the stress, great. If we could just find that file, we'll click on it and we'll put it in the bin. But for dissociation, am I right in the fact that you might not even know if something has been long enough that it's sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm having this, this response, but because I'm so dissociated from it, it's almost happening either it's normal for me to be, you know, this situation or whatever. I'm, I've put up with it. I'm tolerating it because I always have for the last however long. And so therefore it's not really a problem. I've dealt with it for 10 years. Why is it now suddenly a problem? Mm. Or, or it could be that it, it's so chronic that it's sort of like, I, is it better than this? Yes. But the body, That's a but the, really the body, important point. Really, really important. There's, there's two things. The first thing is I want to clarify that when I say eliminate stress, I'm not necessarily talking about eliminating the stressful situation or eliminating the stressful whatever. I'm talking about the actual stress data that's stored in the body. So this is going back to mind-body stuff. So through a whole heap of so mind-body. are you talking about like processing trauma is that what you're sort of talking Process, about yeah so trauma gotcha. think of trauma not so much as an event but think of trauma as anything that my body has had a fight flight or freeze response to it's mm. just had a stress response in the body then it's not up to us to judge whether or not something's traumatic it's traumatic if we if our body has decided it's going to have a stress response that's it that's as simple as it is right, right. so the, the point I was making with that particular comment is that the problem arises when our body starts having stress responses to things that are not actually going to kill us. Like if you said to me, Ash, your hair looks absolutely ridiculous and you should not wear your hair like that. Whatever you do, do I do not want to do this show with you while ever you're wearing your hair stupid like that. Yeah, that's not going to kill me. At least just wash your hair. I mean, that's, <laughs> I, mean I, don't, I don't think that's unreasonable. That's <laughs> That's not going to kill me though, right? No. But if I have a hurt, if I have a wound within me that 
fears what people fears people's opinions fears their judgments fears that i need someone to accept me and to validate me and i have to please them that comment is going to cause a stress response in me mm. and so the stress response is a product of something that is an underlying fear not because of actually what you've said and because that's a real threat so when i say that we have to resolve the stress i'm not saying that oh my kids are stressing me out so let's get rid of the kids mm. <laughs> we unfortunately can't do that not unfortunately we fortunately i was going to throw in a joke <laughs> i was, was going to throw in a joke you know free to good home but anyway <laughs> But I guess I guess what you're saying is instead of tackling the things head on, right? If this person's causing me issues, if this situation's causing, you know, I can't stand work. What you're saying mm -hmm. is look at what those things represent, and look at what those things are triggering within you, yeah. which may be sort of outside of the, the primary hurt, and then start to work on some of those things around the edges that yes. will then help you create capacity to then look at the situation in a manner which is not necessarily in a freeze response or a dissociative response to then go, actually, I am overreacting or actually, no, you are simply a dick and yes, I wear my hair exactly. whichever way I like. Yes. And so right? do you see the difference yeah. with fight and flight? We still have an element of power. I feel mm -hmm. powerful enough to fight you. I feel powerful enough to run away from that threat freeze is powerlessness it's yes. giving up because but we are complete victimized gotcha. and we have no power and, and so I, yeah you go i was just about to say for me this is a big one for me whenever i used to think about freeze it was literally the definition of freeze can't talk stuttering no cognitive awareness can't move your feet, can't move your hands. It was like literal freeze. But the yeah. ability to sort of still look as though you're in control while your nervous system's in that freeze environment. Because I think it's really important that when you can start to sort of go, or at least be have awareness around, I might be freezing, even yeah. though I can still move my eyebrows. And for those watching YouTube, this yeah. is an inquisitive look for me. Um, you can still ha-ha without laughing. You can still make somewhat decisions, but all of those decisions is what you're saying is coming from a powerless perspective simply yeah. to survive yes. the environment, yes. the, the, the incident. And then, oh, and this is, this is going to be, I'll take that one step further. And then when you tell someone about it, they go, why didn't you just say no? Yes, exactly. Why do you? And this why? Is, <laughs> this is exactly what? my point. So, what um, you you mentioned? What if people have no awareness of it because they've mm. been in the situation for so long, they're numbed out, whatever. My hope is that by explaining to you some of the behaviours that might point mm. towards freeze or point towards dissociation, that is helping you to self-identify. That's helping you to sit there and go, oh my gosh, I do that. I completely disconnect from my kids. Like I will completely zone out. If you're zoning out, guess what? This is you. If you are 
completely numbing out, if you're relying on substances, if you're relying on social media, if you're relying on these things to numb out, you're in a freeze response. You're you're dissociated. Mm. And so that is not a, well, It I was going to say that realizing that is not a problem. That is the most impo- important thing because it's then being able to, and this is why the the merging and coming together of therapy and coaching is so important. Because mm. unless you can actually process the stresses and the trauma at a mind-body level through therapy and through coaching, be equipped with, well, how what words do I use to even say no? How do I how do I phrase that? How do I say it? When can I say it? Do I have to keep saying it? Um, well, do you have to feel when, it first? Do you have to have that? Yeah. You know, how do I know when of, to say no? <clears throat> because if you're if you're constantly used to being in a stadium where uh, you know concerts are constantly going, then hearing a drill go off is not a big deal. It's not that loud. Yeah. But if you're constantly living in a rock show or a Taylor Swift show, because Taylor's coming down to Australia apparently, um, and you're constantly <laughs> being bombarded with all this noise, right? And that's normal for you. And that noise is being impacted on your nervous system. And then suddenly you go to a place where there's a loud car that goes past, you sing having coffee, and everyone around you goes, God, that's loud. And you're like going, please, that's nothing. Right? 100%. It's sort of like, it's, it's sort of re- realigning what is normal. What's, what's normal for you may not be what's, what's normal for your, for your um, nervous system. Yep. A hundred percent. And it's about familiarity. So the nervous system, according to the nervous system, certainty is safe. Familiarity is safe, which is why people stay in their crappy situations for as long as they do, because the safety and familiarity of pain and uncomfort, discomfort, still feels safer to the nervous system than the dysregulation that comes from change. And so this is where, because if you're choosing to stay, that's perceived as power, right? Unconsciously you've chosen that. So I'm going to continue choosing what I know because what I don't know feels really unsafe. And I think that's a really, really important point because it's a massive point. It's, it's absolutely fundamentally huge. Maybe our next episode should be all about why people choose to stay when to stay. When I say to stay, why people continue choosing their current situation, even when their current situation sucks. Yeah. And then someone will come in and just sort of say, well, if you're, if you're not happy, fix it. Yeah. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's, not like, okay. exactly. it's not that simple because the change is what <clears throat> feels like it's life threatening. The change feels so unfamiliar and so dysregulating to the nervous system that the nervous system will do everything within its power to make sure it can stay the same. Even though what you're wanting, and even though, and I might even add to that, even though what you're wanting to change, you know you need to change because you're not being fulfilled somehow. And you know that the change, there's definite, there's, you can logically go through all the upsides and the, and the, you know, what could be the amazing parts. But there still could be, as you're sort of saying, that any thought of change would just be crippling to the nervous system and it will just sort of go, look, as as bad as the situation might be, it's not that bad. 
Yeah. Wow. Hundred percent. Totally. And I think um, when we like, if people are sitting there and they're thinking, well. you've sort of already asked this question, how do I overcome this dissociation? The first thing is if you're experiencing it and you can have the self-awareness, we have a whole episode on self-awareness, go and listen to that. But if you have the self-awareness to be able to recognize and observe you doing that behavior, if you observe yourself scrolling on your phone to zone out from the world around you, if you observe yourself going through the motions of life but not feeling like you're actually present and experiencing them, well, then actually start to integrate some of these presence um, activities into your life, the grounding activities we spoke about. Me- um, meditation is really great because it encourages you to be present in your body. Anything that's encouraging you to be present in your body is going to really help. And if you really are at the point where you go, I cannot live like this any longer, I want to experience my life. I don't want to just live my life and let the clock tick away until I die. I want to live and experience my life, but you don't know where to start, reach out. That is exactly what we do in being able to support people in reconnecting, so resolving that trauma at a cellular level so that Mm. they can feel safe in their world because when you feel safe you don't need to escape and i think that's a brilliant point that last point that you sort of mentioned because i've someone who's done a reasonable amount of healing still plenty left to do but i'm still a prolific scroller on tiktok and i don't see that as a problem because i'm just enjoying it i will watch youtube every now and again but i think because what i was going to sort of say there's no shame in doing these things and I thought to myself, I've got to ask Ash, what's the, what's the difference? And I and you'd said it before yeah. I was going to ask the question, which is, I feel as though I'm wasting my time. I have to do this because I I, I need to calm my nerves. I'm wasting yeah. my life, or I want something better. But if you're doing it just because you enjoy it, if you're doing it because you've had a big day, you want to relax, and you you just want to sit down and watch the latest episode of mighty car mods um yes that's me um that's okay because you're doing it from a different place it's not from a need it's just from a yes you're still drowning yourself in technology and distraction that's that's all the same but it's not a bad thing and also a bit like it's 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 the purpose that behavior is serving if the the behavior is serving the purpose to move you away from discomfort or threat or pain then it's dysfunctional and it's a survival mechanism. If the intention of the behavior is to move you into a pleasurable experience, like, for example, watching, um, I have, have not watched a show on anything, any streaming service or anything in years, and I recently started watching Young Sheldon. And, oh, my gosh, I awesome. love it. And yeah. so that's become something that I have really begun to look forward to for the end of my day and it's a 20 minute episode it's not long at all but i really enjoy just watching one episode of that but if i had life that was really stressful going on around me and my kids there was you know lots happening in my world and i went to that and i watched episodes as a way to avoid that chaos or as a way to avoid the responsibility or as a way to um, drown out that noise then that's a survival mechanism Mm. and it's not serving you. 
Yeah, and I guess like the difference between dissociation and being at peace, right? Yeah. You know, the, 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 the dissociation can feel numb, but being at peace, you're being still and you're actually enjoying that there's nothing going on. Um, and again, it comes back to how did you get there? What's the, what was the intention of being there? Is it because I have to, to survive or I'm doing it because I'm simply at, at, at peace? Yeah. So this, these are, um, this is really cool. Now, you mentioned what we should do next week. Mm. Um, that sounded pretty good. Why do I'll people to... stay in their situations when they're unhappy? Okay, I think that's really, that's an extension of what we're talking about here. That's a, that's yeah. a great one. Because yeah. a lot of people will, you know, be very judgmental of other people. And for those watching on YouTube, you can see some, I've got my hand up. I have been that person in the past. Yeah. If you don't like it, fix it. If you're unhappy, yeah. move. Yeah. If there's a problem, just do it. Um, and so when you, when people come at you from that point of view, it's very judgmental. So it really can trigger that sort of shame and like, am I good enough? Why do I put up with it? But if we can explore yeah. that, because I'm not that person anymore. But if we can explore that so that people can sort of go, it's okay. Yeah. Yes, you can work when, better for yourself, but there may, might be other things you need to process first as opposed to just trying to run at the main problem to start off with. A hundred percent. And you made a really great point. Like when someone says, well, why don't you just say no? Or why don't you just leave? Or whatever it might be. When we apply this to business and we apply this to the workplace, it's huge because it's the difference between, so the, the nervous system regulation and dissociation stuff is capacity. We're talking about, do we have the nervous system mm -hmm. capacity? That's therapeutic. When it comes to capability, that's coaching. So within a workplace environment, someone might have some behaviours that's negatively impacting workplace culture or they're not being productive or they're missing deadlines all the time. When we have this level of awareness and understanding of what drives human behaviour, workplaces completely transform because we can tease out, is this a capacity issue? that the person actually doesn't have the capacity to do what we are asking them to do? Or is it that they don't, they have the capacity, but they don't have the capability because they don't have the technical expertise. And so this is why a one size fits all person, uh, professional development program for workplaces generally doesn't work because for some people, they know what to do. They just don't have the capacity to do it. And this is common for people with ADHD in the workplace, right? They know what they have to do, but struggle because they don't have the cognitive capacity or the executive function capacity to do that task or to meet that deadline or whatever oh, it might it's just be. It's boring as hell for them or there's, you know, yeah. to the last minute. But exactly. you, you, talk, you talk about workplaces, right? You talk about performance. There's a whole new level when it comes to trauma in the workplace, harassment, abuse yeah. you know um how then these type of things then feed into you know if you're sexually abused in your workplace right and mm -hmm. you get into this sort of dis dissociation and then people go well why didn't you just say no why didn't you just do this why didn't you just do mm -hmm. do that it's sort of like then you feel as though you just have to push through it 
even yeah. though the body's not necessarily ready to just bloody push through it but that's yeah. maybe an ex expectation so this is maybe something we can circle back to uh but 100%. love this one ash this has been a been me a too one. i get to the end well, of all our episodes and go wow that was deep oh, wow, no. that was huge that was massive loved and it we're, com <laughs> we're completely unbiased as well we don't just say it because it's our own show we you know we love all of our remind episodes <laughs> anyway click the subscribe button guys there's going to be so much more in continuing this conversation um yep. go back have a have a listen to the earlier episodes because we've covered so much that's relevant to this we've covered identity mm. we've covered fear of rejection we've covered people pleasing and perfectionism and all these amazing things that will feed into this so yep. get a nice holistic snapshot of of what we're about and start learning start learning who you are and breaking free from that absolutely and do comment on the videos about what you'd like us to talk about we we have had a um, suggestion already on our last video about how to how do we train our minds to come back to the present moment so we're going to put that in there as something we're going to circle back to yeah. in the up, upcoming episodes because that's really important because coming back to the present moment as painful as it can be will create capacity yeah. because to be able to get to the moment you're you you're going through the process of processing something but yeah i think next week's going to be a great episode ash uh your hair's looking lovely as always don't ever change it <laughs> never uh, and um I, I i feel very shiny um so my hair's looking great as well and i will catch you next week yes you will thanks for joining us everyone take care bye-bye <laughs>